Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, doing it solo this week. Darcy, unfortunately, was ill and unable to record with me. So I'm going to go ahead and do this one on my own. I've done a couple on my own prior, but we'll see how it goes. For those of you who have never listened to this podcast before, this is the crazy podcast where we talk about strange stuff, bizarre cases, and things that make you say, hmm... That was fascinating. In other words, if it's weird, wild, bizarre out talking about an article that I found on yahoo.com. It was originally posted on ABC News and it came out just this last week. I don't know if you guys out there saw this, but there was a woman that was accused of sneaking into a Bronx Zoo lion exhibit. And there were pictures of her all over the internet of her dancing around and doing some other things. But I think this is really disturbing. Um, The article essentially says this woman who was allegedly in the lion exhibit at the Bronx Zoo was arraigned this last week on criminal trespass charges in a Bronx criminal court. Maya Autry, age 29, made headlines after a video of her appeared to show her standing and dancing in front of a lion at the zoo on September 28th. It is not immediately clear to officials how she got into the exhibit, and they described the area she was in as fenced or otherwise enclosed that housed both giraffes and lions. The zoo police report that there is a moat with approximately a 14-foot drop between where the woman was allegedly standing in the video with the lion. Terrifying. Autry, a Brooklyn resident, was arrested Wednesday night after turning herself in according to the New York Police Department. She was charged with two counts of criminal trespassing. Police had asked for the public's help to find her after they viewed the incident online because her post obviously went viral for a whole host of reasons. Autry didn't respond to the request for comment or request to interview her. Calls to the zoo were also not returned to the reporters on this particular article. In a previous statement, a spokesperson said the action was a serious violation and unlawful trespass that could have resulted in serious injury or death. Barriers and rules are in place to keep both visitors and staff and animals safe. Autry was released on her own recognizance and is due back in court on December 22nd. I find this article disturbing because, number one, It's setting a bad example for other people who may try to do something so stupid and repeat her gag on their own as sort of a challenge. And I don't like that. These zoos exhibits are expensive to keep and the animals that are in there are usually virtually extinct. And if they're not, then they're endangered. And this woman could go into that enclosure and result in them having to either kill or it could injure the animals themselves. So don't do this kind of crap. It just seems way out of bounds and ridiculous in the most extreme way. I mean, if you want to have some fun and do some extreme viral video type content, find something that doesn't involve animals that might potentially have to be put to sleep if they attack you. Find something that's safe, that's not going to endanger other people and get the zoo in trouble. And find something that is not stupid, like going into a lion enclosure. Come on, people. Um, Today's episode, we also want to give a shout out to a couple people who have 
given us some positive reviews. We got one from AU Music Lover, and this was a recent review, and this person says, Hooked, five stars. Confession, before I started listening, I was not what you would call podcast people. Now I look forward to hearing new episodes every week. It's so refreshing to hear these two different perspectives on true crime, especially on cases that may not get as much attention. These ladies really do their homework, and it shows. Great work. Thank you, AU Music Lover. I suspect it might be somebody that knows Darcy from Alabama or somewhere in that general area. Um, We also got a very nice review from someone named Hannah Tillman, who's also a friend of Darcy's, and she gave us five stars and said, better with every episode. Loving this podcast. It's getting better with every episode. Sarah and Darcy really do their research and are very knowledgeable about the cases and subjects they tackle. Keep it up. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Then we got one that says intriguing and relatable from SD Fan 2019, who says, I used to live in San Diego and had no idea about these cases. You never think such crazy things would happen in quiet Coronado. Bravo, ladies. Well done. And she's referring to our Coronado episode that we did on the Spreckles Mansion. Thanks, guys, for those awesome compliments. We love it. We consistently seek to provide content that our listeners enjoy and that is part of the improvement process as well so thank you for giving us that feedback and letting us know that you're enjoying the content we're giving you guys today's topic is going to be one that we have covered briefly on the show at an earlier time and since there have been some recent developments in this case i'm kind of bringing it up and highlighting it as a main topic on an episode and that is kelsey barreth and the kelsey barreth disappearance kelsey barreth grew up in moses lake washington she was a pretty girl who was raised on a hay farm She was very much a country girl as well, who drove tractors, baled hay, and knew her way around a farm. And for those of you who don't know where Moses Lake is, it is in Washington State, in eastern Washington. It's kind of smack dab in the middle of the state, and it is a really pretty place, sort of a medium-sized town in the state of Washington. She basically became a flight instructor later in life, so to speak. She disappeared at age 29, but it was in her mid to late 20s that she decided to become a flight instructor. But she was actually a very good pilot, according to her friends. She was unafraid and she challenged boundaries. She met Colorado cowboy Patrick Frazee when he caught her eye on a dating website in 2016. She liked his country boy image and they began a long distance relationship. Patrick lived on a 35 acre ranch in rural Colorado. He trained cattle dogs, shooed horses, groomed donkeys, and basically was a farrier, if you have heard of that phrase, which is essentially a horseshoer. But for donkeys who don't have, don't wear shoes on their feet, he trims the feet of the donkeys. According to his friends and co-workers and neighbors and associates, he was a quiet and dedicated guy who loved his job and was very dedicated to his work. He kept to himself and wasn't really affectionate towards Kelsey, according to those who saw them together. Kelsey decided at some point that she needed to move to Colorado from Washington State to be closer to this man because they were expecting a baby. They got engaged shortly thereafter, but had no plans for a wedding according to family details. People said that a wedding was just really not important to them. They were happy to be engaged at that point and happy to provide a loving 
family for their little girl who was born October 2017. Kaylee was her name, and the two shared parenting duties, although they did not live together. According to her friends, Patrick never really came to see Kelsey, but she would go to his place on her days off. Kelsey was, however, struggling to find balance after the baby came. She couldn't seem to find that delicate balance, as many of you know, between having a baby, doing her job, and having a relationship. And she was also having to commute super long for her job. So people around them started to see that the relationship between her and Patrick appeared to be strained and stressed. And some people said they felt like Kelsey was feeling like she couldn't make Patrick happy. And when asked if there was any sort of abuse that was witnessed between the two, people said that he appeared emotionally abusive, although he was not physical with Kelsey. Kelsey had also mentioned to another of her friends that she suspected there was another woman involved in their relationship, an ex who still wanted him. But at the same time, Kelsey didn't really appear to be too worried about this other relationship. Then, fast forward a bit, to Thanksgiving 2018, Woodland Park, Colorado. This is a peaceful and beautiful area, which was home to Kelsey Barrett and her young daughter. As I mentioned earlier, Kelsey did live in a separate building or a separate home away from Patrick who lived on his ranch. She disappeared on Thanksgiving and some really crazy details and haunting images emerged not long after her disappearance and Patrick Frazy, her boyfriend slash fiance, was arrested on charges of first degree murder for her death. But what actually happened varies depending on whose story you believe. Kelsey, this kind, thoughtful gal who did not like drama, according to her friends, disappeared after shopping for Thanksgiving dinner in a Safeway in Woodland Park, Colorado. Clearly, there was some tremendous trouble brewing beneath the surface of this couple. Kelsey's home was an adjoined townhome and was near enough to her neighbors that somebody should have heard something if something did go down at Kelsey's house. But Cheryl Barreth was the one to report her 29-year-old daughter missing after trying to reach her for days. According to her friends and family, she was not the sort of woman who would run away, despite the fact that Patrick had claimed that she had run away. She loved her family. She was deeply religious. Patrick had also claimed that Kelsey was in treatment for substance abuse. But her friends and family say this is not true, that she was just fatigued and stressed and sought treatment to deal with that stress. And it was nutritional and spiritual counseling, not substance abuse counseling. So Patrick was sort of trying to lay the framework that maybe she was depressed, maybe she was stressed, maybe there were some issues with alcohol and or drugs. But her friends and family staunchly refute this and say Kelsey didn't have drug or alcohol problems. So... Here's what went down around the time of the disappearance. When Kelsey disappeared, police questioned Patrick, and this was the day before Thanksgiving when Patrick reported that she told him she wanted to end their relationship, that things were just not working out, and that they would split custody of Kaylee 50-50. They were meant to exchange the baby on Thanksgiving Day. He also says that he returned a 
box of her belongings with keys, purse, and a gun that was Kelsey's, which he said he took away from her for her protection because she seemed depressed and maybe suicidal. Again, he's building that framework to try to claim that she either ran away or that maybe she perhaps killed herself. Police initially searched Kelsey's home and did not find any signs of foul play on a precursory search. At that point, they probably were not doing a deep dive and really inspecting things closely, but they probably were just looking to see if there was anything out of place or any outward signs that there might potentially be blood or some sort of injury in the home. And at that point, they didn't find anything. Then Kelsey's mom and brother come and stay in the townhouse and they sort of go over things with a fine tooth comb and notice that there's a bath mat missing and the fridge has been wiped down recently. Then they start inspecting a little closer and they find blood on the base of a toilet in one of the bathrooms. At that point, her mom alerts the investigators immediately and they come out with some luminol and start checking the house out in more detail and they find that there's blood all over the bathroom and the DNA tests show that it's Kelsey's. They also bring in cadaver dogs who comb the house as well and find signs of human decomposition in the driveway. Then they believe that Kelsey has been murdered and they start looking at cell phone activity. This is the next step in the investigative process, and they looked over Thanksgiving weekend around the time of the disappearance. But there were no signs of Kelsey's body anywhere, and this was deeply disturbing to authorities. Although they believe she's dead, they took the baby into protective custody from the beginning of this search because they were really, really suspicious of Patrick and his story, his breakup story with Kelsey. Because Kelsey was seen in surveillance video at the Safeway Shopping Center shopping for family dinner. According to the cameras, Kelsey bought ingredients for sweet potato casserole and had sent a text saying that she was making it for Patrick. She also didn't mention the breakup to her mother when she had spoken to her that morning, which seems very suspicious to authorities as well. If she was breaking up with this man or had broken up with this man, number one, she probably would have told family and friends. And number two, her mom definitely would have had some sort of inkling of this happening when they had the phone conversation that morning. But as it is, nothing sounded out of the ordinary and Kelsey sounded happy when she spoke to her mother. So it appears that if they did break up, that Patrick was the only one who knew about it. But the police then asked Patrick when was the last time that he saw Kelsey, and he claimed it was Thanksgiving when they exchanged their daughter on November 22nd outside of Kelsey's home. But he wouldn't pinpoint a time for that. Patrick was then seen outside of Walmart at about 1.15 p.m. on surveillance camera with a baby carrier. And about 15 minutes later, there is a camera in Kelsey's neighbor's home that is pointed towards Kelsey's home that kind of catches him in the corner of the camera at Kelsey's house. And then around 3.30, the neighbor's camera sees him again. Images of what appears to be Patrick, but they cannot tell whether he is coming or going. And he does not have the baby or Kelsey with him at that point at the 3.30 time frame. So the police really want to know what happened from 1.30 to 3.30 because they suspect this is likely when Patrick killed Kelsey. Patrick had claimed that he picked up Kaylee, the baby, and took her to the family ranch for Thanksgiving dinner, but that Kelsey did not go with him. 
But this was immediately suspicious because when they began tracking Kelsey's cell phone, her phone pinged at his house, showing that both her phone and Patrick's phone had begun traveling together on November 22nd, even though the two were not together. Investigators believe that Patrick took the phone after he killed Kelsey as part of a scheme to cover his tracks. He additionally faked about 19 calls and texts between the two phones over Thanksgiving weekend, including one where Kelsey says, I'm going running, I'll call you when I get home, and him saying, okay, be safe. Both were fake and two days later more texts start pinging between the two phones one of them seems like it's trying to confirm the breakup saying if this is truly what you want i'll respect your wishes and give you space three days after thanksgiving there's a new development though patrick's phone stays and kelsey's phone starts moving west and out of colorado there's also a text to kelsey's work supervisor saying that she would not be at work and then suddenly the phone is 800 miles away and it says do you even love me? Then, November 25th, in Gooding, Idaho, Kelsey's phone pings off the cell phone towers in that area, but how did it get there? This, at the time, was a huge mystery, and Patrick was alleging that Kelsey had run away and that this was what she wanted, but suddenly a 32-year-old woman in Twin Falls, Idaho, claims that she helped cover up a murder. This woman's name is Crystal Kenny Lee. At the time of Kelsey's disappearance, police see that she was in touch with Patrick. This woman was a nurse and an avid horse woman. She had been a former rodeo queen and was part of the rodeo community in Idaho Falls. She was prominent in the community and her she loved horses. She was a cowgirl. She liked having fun. It was 2008 that she was queen of the Magic Valley Rodeo. According to her friends and family, she was kind, fun, pretty, persuasive, and she was a very hard worker and a perfectionist. Authorities believe that Crystal was the one who took the phone to Idaho that belonged to Kelsey. When they questioned her, she initially claimed she had no idea who Kelsey was and denied knowing Patrick. Then she changed her story and said when they confronted her that she she knew him as a business associate and she had gone to look at his horses but that they had no personal relationship however this was clearly not true when the police discovered that patrick and crystal had a long history that they had met after high school and had rekindled their relationship about eight months before Kelsey disappeared crystal who was a recent divorcee with two kids came out to see patrick multiple times and it appeared that the relationship between the two had been heating up at the time of Kelsey's disappearance. Crystal would go to see Patrick and she had family in Colorado too but what prompted most of Crystal's confession was that her best friend Michelle claims that Crystal had confided in her about a crazy conversation between her and Patrick. About one month before Kelsey disappeared this friend Michelle alleges that Crystal had been asked to take care of his baby mama and that Crystal had been asked to kill Kelsey on multiple occasions. Crystal had been very upset at the time and of course all of this is hearsay because this is a friend reporting what she allegedly heard Crystal say. But she said it was because Kelsey wanted to take Patrick back to court for full custody of the baby and possibly move out of the area. But Patrick had told Crystal that Kelsey was harming the baby and she was a bad mother. 
Even though there was no proof of this, there is no evidence whatsoever that Kelsey had done any harm to the baby at any point. There was also clues and evidence that Patrick planned to challenge Kelsey for custody of the baby, and this could potentially have been motive for murder. This friend that supposedly heard this confession from Crystal claimed she did not know any full names of the individuals involved or the location in Colorado where the two were. She pushed Crystal to contact the police and trusted her to do the right thing. When Kelsey was gone about a month and Michelle heard about it on the news, she went to the FBI. And at that point, the police go back and question Crystal again. And she, surprise, surprise, changes her story once again and comes clean. But she negotiates a deal out of it. In exchange for her testimony against Patrick, Crystal pleads guilty to evidence tampering and admitted getting rid of the gun, tossing the keys in a canyon, and destroying Kelsey's phone. In exchange for her testimony, she will get a maximum of three years in prison. When she's questioned on this, Crystal reveals some pretty shocking details. And this is the main center of the case against Patrick Frazee. She sits down and gives about four and a half hours of details and testimony and confesses that Patrick had tried to get her to kill Kelsey three different times. The first time was with a poisoned coffee. Evidently, Kelsey's favorite coffee was a caramel macchiato. And about two months before Kelsey disappeared, Crystal drove about 12 hours to a Starbucks near Kelsey and ordered this caramel macchiato. She was supposed to put a lethal dose of Ambien and Valium into the drink and then give it to Kelsey. So allegedly, Crystal got the drugs, put them in the coffee, and drove to Kelsey's house, knocked on the door, and told her some cockamamie story about being new to the neighborhood and how she'd been told that Kelsey helped get her dogs out of trouble. And Kelsey told her, that is not me, but she did take the coffee and closed the door. Obviously, she did not get poisoned at that point, and Crystal admitted that she lost her nerve and couldn't put the drugs into the coffee. Patrick finds out about all this and gets super mad that she didn't follow through with the first attempt to kill Kelsey, and he was furious. Evidently, Patrick was very manipulative and then came up with a different plan to try and get rid of Kelsey. The second plan or the second chance was supposed to involve a metal pipe that would be left outside of his house and Crystal was supposed to come pick the pipe up, go wait outside Kelsey's place and hit her over the head with a metal pipe. But Crystal evidently lost her nerve on that attempt as well. She left and went back to Idaho and Patrick called her obviously upset about that as well since she didn't follow through with that but he said he had a third plan that she was supposed to go wait for Kelsey at the townhouse with a metal bat and just kill her with that metal bat but Crystal chickened out on that one yet again and still doesn't tell the police about any of these attempts on Kelsey's life you would think that a normal person with some sort of conscience would have called the police at that point and told them what was going on I mean this poor young woman's life could have been saved in any case 4.30 Thanksgiving Day, Patrick calls Crystal and says he needs her to drive out ASAP, that she has a mess to clean up. Crystal knows something is happening and tells him that she can't come that day because obviously it's Thanksgiving and she's with her family, but that she can come a bit later. She then 
purchases a bunch of cleaning supplies, bleach, gloves, trash bags, etc., packs them up in her car, and two days after Thanksgiving, Crystal drives the 800 miles to Patrick's ranch to pick up Kelsey's keys. She then drives to Kelsey's townhouse and finds this absolutely horrific scene at the house. There is blood and footprints everywhere, and Kelsey's body is gone. So she, I guess, figures, hey, I'm not going to be concerned about this. I'm not going to call the police. Instead, she cleans the house for three to four hours. This was obviously a murder scene. She throws away whatever she can't clean that has blood spatter on it, baby toys, books, etc. Patrick is back at his ranch during all of this and says that there's possibly a tooth somewhere. And Crystal says she found that tooth and put it and a bloody sweater into trash bags and took it away. She then went to a local Sonic Burger in Colorado and had dinner. She told investigators as well that she met up with Patrick after that. And he says that he had lured Kelsey and invited her to play a game where she was supposed to guess the scent of candles. He said that he had grabbed a sweater and blindfolded her and asked her to guess the scent of each candle as he held it up underneath her nose. When the baby was in the other room, instead, he hit Kelsey with a bat and killed her on Thanksgiving Day 2018. This young woman, Crystal, then says Patrick put the body in a black tote bag, but she never saw the body in the actual tote bag, but the two went back to the ranch and Crystal watched Patrick burn the tote bag. She then tells investigators that she intentionally left blood in certain places throughout Kelsey's townhouse for the police to find hours later. But December 21st, 2018, Patrick is arrested and charged with murder despite the fact that there is no body and it's just Crystal's testimony against him. What is the motivation? No one seems to know. Family and friends of Crystal are confused and perplexed and want to know why in the heck Crystal would be involved in something like this because she just doesn't seem like the person that would do this. Patrick enters a not guilty plea. He is absolutely emotionless and just sits and stares. But two months after his arrest, police searched the area landfills for remains and really searched to try to find the body, but their searches yielded no results. They did find some evidence on Patrick's ranch, including a tooth fragment, which is currently being tested or has been tested. But they have a lot of questions, including the fact that they found some mixed blood with an unknown female and male and DNA that was not Patrick's at the scene of the murder. But there was no body and no murder weapon. And the only thing they had was some cell phone evidence, which was a partial story And then Crystal's story and testimony. Crystal is currently at home and she will be sentenced after Patrick's trial. But if her story does not hold up, then the plea bargain that she was offered will be off the table. Crystal told investigators that she loved Patrick and wanted to please him. But she was also afraid of him and the fact that he might harm her family. I believe that he probably threatened her and her daughter. Defense teams say Crystal did it all to be with Patrick. But it's hard to determine the truth since she had lied to the FBI 
on previous occasions. Kelsey's daughter is now being raised by Kelsey's parents. The trial itself for Patrick Frazee began November 1st, and he was being tried for first-degree murder, solicitation of murder, tampering with the body, and the defense team believes that someone else killed her, and that is their primary defense, that there was somebody else involved in this, which is very, very interesting. But since we did the research for this case, there was a development, and that is the reason why we wanted to bring forward this case at this time, and that Patrick was sentenced. His trial ended and he was sentenced. And we all know this is a little bit unusual because sometimes these trials can last months, even years. But this one actually ended recently, and we're going to talk about the developments. So I found this other article on NBCNews.com, and it is called Patrick Frazee Found Guilty of First-Degree Murder in Death of Fiancé Kelsey Barrett. Patrick Frazee was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of his fiancé, Kelsey Barrett, who was seen near her Colorado home with her infant daughter last Thursday, or excuse me, last Thanksgiving. There was a jury of six men and six women who deliberated for less than four hours before they reached their verdict. Frazee, 33 years old, was found guilty on all the charges, two counts of murder, three counts of solicitation to commit the murder, and tampering with a deceased human body. He had denied killing Barra throughout the whole trial and pleaded not guilty. The jury trial began November 1st, and the jury sentenced Frazee to life without parole for first-degree murder, plus an additional 156 years. So it appears that justice is being served in this case. The prosecutors in the case said that after the verdict, they never witnessed Frazee express anything other than an emotionless state that he exhibited while he was in court. And people think that he is actually, the behavior that he has exhibited is consistent with that of a sociopath. In closing arguments, the prosecutors argued that Frazee had been planning Barrett's death for months. And despite that, the defense called all the evidence that was presented circumstantial and made up. Barrett's mother, Cheryl Barrett, spoke to the court prior to sentencing to request Frazee get the maximum sentence and the removal of his parental rights as the family intends to adopt Kaylee. Crystal Lee, Frazee's former girlfriend, who previously went by the last name Kinney, testified during the trial that she was directed by Patrick, as I mentioned earlier. Lee was charged with tampering with evidence and pleaded guilty in February, agreeing to testify in this trial against Frazee. An inmate also testified during the trial that when he and Frazee were in the same jail cell, Frazee asked him to kill Lee. Notes between the two list more than 10 other people who needed to disappear or be unseen, quote unquote, until after the trial. This was all according to law enforcement officials. A friend of Frazee's, Joe Moore, testified that the two were together on April 2018 when he asked Frazee how things were going with Barrett. Frazee said, I figured out a way to kill her. And then during the conversation, Frazee grinned and said, no body, no crime, right? Following Barrett's disappearance, the two met up again December 20th, and Frazee expressed surprise in the media's interest of the case. He was arrested and charged with murder the next day. So there has been justice for Kelsey in that this man is now serving a life sentence plus 156 years. So it seems pretty obvious to me that this man will not be getting out of jail in this lifetime. And perhaps he will get a little bit of justice in prison. I personally think the man is a sociopath and needs some serious mental help. And I hope he gets it while he is in prison. He has at no point in this investigation or trial expressed any sort of remorse. 
His claims of innocence just seem completely ridiculous when you consider the facts and the evidence that have built up against this man. It just seems really, really crazy that he would think he would be able to get away with something like that. In any case, justice has been served and hopefully the little girl Kaylee will be raised by the grandparents and they will continue to show her how beautiful and wonderful her mother was despite this. And it seems like such a really, really sad and tragic case that this little girl is losing both her mother and her father. But quite scary because this man seemed so outwardly normal and I just, I don't think that anybody in this case would have anticipated that he could do something like this which really shows you that it's the quiet ones that you probably need to be concerned about more than the outwardly angry and violent ones in many instances. In any case, we're going to wrap the episode up for the day. I apologize to the listeners out there that we don't have our normal format with myself and Darcy doing the duties on the show. And I promise you all, Darcy will be back in the next episode. I miss her tremendously. She is an amazing soundboard. And she has some of the most awesome viewpoints when it comes to scientific and medical background for these cases. So I'm really looking forward to getting her back. She has been feeling under the weather and reported that she could not record this week. And it was very disappointing for me, but the show must go on for this one. So she will be back next time, folks, I promise. But this is the point where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We love getting your emails. We will put that into the show notes as well as the details from this case. You can also follow us on social media at the BFD podcast. Come follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We also post pictures each week of the case, the victims, the alleged perpetrators of these crimes and all kinds of other details that we can find that we enjoy sharing with you guys. Please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye!